Audi. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. When in Germany in the 1980s, Ellie Radinger was refused a job in space law because it was supposedly man's work, she gave it all up to dedicate her life to studying wolves and is now a world expert on the subject. In this fascinating episode, I talk to Ellie about watching wolves in the wild in America's vast national parks close encounters with bears, the incredible bonds that wolves share in the pack, and about some of the really lovely stories in her book, The Wisdom of Wolves. You might not have known it before now, but wolves are truly fascinating. You're going to love this episode. And here is Ellie on the Big Travel Podcast. Where did the interest in wolves come from? From my childhood. I grew up with the German Shepherd dog. He was my best friend, and so it was kind of like having the wolf in your home. So I never liked the story of Red Riding Hood because I always thought that poor wolf with all these stones in its stomach. And so I always had dogs all my life long, and then I always got interested in wolves, and so I kind of followed this red line all my life. So you grew up in Germany? I grew up in Germany. And where was your first exposure to wolves? To actual wolf, rather late when I was about 40, I'd say, uh, besides seeing them once in a while while you're traveling. But I was getting in, really into the wolves was um, starting at the 1990s, I guess. And you gave up your job as a solicitor to yes. go and live in a cabin. Yeah. And look also. after wolves and yeah. study yeah. wolves. Tell me about that experience. Sounds amazing. I First of all, I studied law after I've been traveling as a flight attendant for so long. I was five years as working as a flight attendant to see all the world. And I thought I've seen enough. I have to study something now. And so I studied law. I had specialized in aviation law and I wanted to continue with space law. And that was at the beginning of the 1980s. And when I was looking for a job in space law or aviation law, there was no chance to get something as a woman. I applied for at Lufthansa, at, uh, German, at the European uh, Space Agency, and they said, no, not for women. Wait a few, uh, few years and then maybe we have something for you. And of course, I couldn't wait a few years. I had to, you know, support myself. So what do you do when you're a lawyer? You do your law office. And so I did that and I had all these terrible things like divorces and traffic things and all of that. And that was extremely frustrating. How do you know that they rejected you as a woman? They actually told you, told we will me. not marry women. They could, they could do that, yeah. In the early 80s? Yeah, yeah. That is certain. absolutely shocking. Yeah. And there was no way you could fight that. As a lawyer, there was no way you no, could there was prove no a case. No, or... I, was, I didn't want to get into long fights. I wonder why I studied law, because I don't like fighting. <laughs> it's just really weird. But I loved all the, you know, doing the research and all of that. That's what I really like. So at some point you thought, I've had enough of law. I'm going yeah. to go live in a cabin with no water, no electricity. Right. Tell me about that cabin. Where was well, it? Well, it did not go that fast. First of all, after I had enough of law, I uh, wanted to do something with wolves, but I d didn't find anything yet. So I started to work as a uh, 
freelance tour guide also. So I tour I guided people in America. I worked most of the time and did America. And I did my own wildlife tours. So I organized wildlife groups and tours. And during that time, of course, I went to Yellowstone. I think I went to Yellowstone the first time in the 70s, something like that. I was always fascinated by that place. And then later, I tried to find a chance to work with wolves and to do an internship at a wolf facility, at a wolf research facility. And that's when I applied all over these research facilities in the U.S. And that's when I finally got accepted after I did a wolf casting. And is that in Yellowstone National Park? There, no, that was, was first at a captive wolf facility. That was in Indiana, in, in the state of Indiana. I did work there with captive wolves and raised pups and all of that. That was for about three months. And after that, um, I moved into a cabin in the wilderness of Minnesota, in northern Minnesota, and got to, got to see my first wild wolves there. And then after that, I found out about the reintroduction of wolves into Yellowstone National Park. And that's where I went and where I finally ended. Give me a, a description of Yellowstone. I've never actually been. In fact, I've never been to, I've been around the outskirts of mm -hmm. the states, up to maybe 15 or so states. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have traveled quite a bit, but I've never been to that interior. And I know, you know, from pictures I've seen and video that it's got dramatic canyons, yeah. alpine rivers, yeah. forests, yeah. Yeah. hot springs, even geysers. Tell me, right. describe Yellowstone it's to about, me. Uh, 9,000 square kilometers big and uh, it is a land of fire and ice. It is, it is situated on a huge caldera which means a huge lava field because it used to be an old volcano and um, there are so many like you said geysers and uh, hot springs and everything. You have a hole in Yellowstone is the one of the few places where you have all predators and all prey animals that exist in North America on one spot. And it's the only place actually in the world where you can watch wild wolves from the road. Now, the reintroduction of wolves into Yellowstone is a fascinating mm. story. And I've been reading up, you know, before meeting you about mm. this. It's changed the whole. It is. Yeah. It's changed the yeah. wildlife. Yeah. It's changed right. the ecosystem. Yeah. It's changed the way the rivers run. Right. It's changed right. everything. Yeah. It's still changing it. That's the amazing thing with real with nature. You have to take time into perspective. You always think we're reintroducing an animal and in two, three, five years everything is fine. No, it's constantly changing. Like right now with the rivers and everything, everything is still changing. Just for the people that don't know, you know, why this might be happening, tell it, explain why the introduction of wolves has had such a dramatic effect on the landscape. Yeah, it's the changes of the ecosystem. When you reintroduce an animal where it has not been, everything is changing. And with the wolves, it was that Yellowstone had a lot of elk the big wapiti elk and they were kind of overgrazing the whole landscape so nothing could grow anymore because they were feeding from the young trees and from young bushes and then the wolves came and the elk suddenly could not feed in peace they always had to watch out for wolves so it's kind of like the the trees and the bushes were growing again especially near the rivers and while those uh, bushes were growing the waters of course become cooler Trouts are coming back. There are songbirds that are coming back into the bushes. And the beaver came back. And so with the beaver, the whole ecosystem changes again because beavers built dams and all of that, and they change rivers. So this is amazing. This is just one fact. The another amazing fact is that uh, like in the first two years after the reintroduction, the wolves cut the coyote population into half. 
which means that the animals that the coyotes are feeding from, like small rodents and all of that, they suddenly um, grew more because the population grew. And then the animals that are feeding from these little rodents, like uh, prey birds and all of that, they had more to eat. And so this whole system is changing. It is amazing. What, did they anticipate that might happen with the introduction of wolves? I mean, what was the thinking behind it? They were thinking that something will change, but not in, in this dimensions, not at all. Because I read that in Scotland, they're also thinking of reintroducing wolves yeah. as well and other countries now. Yeah, I heard that too. I mean, my personal opinion is that uh, Scotland or, or the British Isles, somehow an island is not a good place to reintroduce wolves. You always, you know, when you reintroduce an animal, fresh blood and fresh genes have to come in and they have no choice there unless they reintroduce new, fresh, different wolves again. So we might get into the problem of inbreeding, which we had on the Isle Royal for a while in America, and that changed. I want to take you back to that first encounter with a wild wolf. Was that when you were living in the cabin? Yeah. And what, was, what did that feel like to encounter wild wolves for the well, first time? Those wolves in Minnesota were very were much more shy than the wolves in Yellowstone, who were used to humans. And in Minnesota, um, I was really off everywhere. That was a cabin in the woods with no electricity, no running water in the middle of wolf and bear territory. So my first wolf, uh, actually, I accidentally met. It was just standing there on the road. And I thought, wow. <laughs> it was just this big wow thing. Um, you just get you don't get really to think something. Some, maybe sometimes, sometimes or somehow, your genes are sort of thinking, should I be afraid now? This is a wild wolf. But before I had kissed wolves, I had braced a wolf pups, so I knew that wolves don't do anything to humans. But still, it's that one moment where this huge animal is standing in front of, in front of you, where you think, hmm, what might happen? But then you just pure joy and then the animal is gone anyway so they're so fast. Yeah. How, how do you know you're safe because your experience prior to that has been with wolves in captivity mm. that are used to mm. human contact yeah. Yeah. and like you said cuddling them and kissing them yeah. and rearing them but this is a wild animal yeah. and yeah. theoretically it, it could attack you could it? Uh, well, I knew that wild wolves don't attack people. We're not their prey species. I knew that. You know that and you get to learn that. Um, but uh, it's still, it is wild. And it's the same when you meet the first wild, uh, when you meet the first bear or something like that. Tell me about meeting bears. Meeting bears is interesting. I would, I'm a little bit afraid of bears. Yeah, <laughs> not afraid that I'm careful, why. definitely. Yes. Especially in Yellowstone when I'm hiking in grizzly country. country. Um, I don't, I never hike alone. Oh, we're always a group and you just have to be careful. You don't want to be stupid when you're in the wild because that's not good. You just have to be careful. I carry bear spray and all of that. So now I, I have something called hamster spray because we have hamsters at home and the vet has given us some spray for when they fight. And apparently you can just spray it and they will fall asleep. I haven't yet done really? it. What is bear spray? Bear spray is uh, it's about the size of big hairspray um, bottle or medium hairspray bottle and it is a mixture between cayenne pepper and uh, the real uh, tear uh, the gas spray tear gas? yeah right tear gas yeah and so that and it also has a color so when you spray that to the bear you don't spray it in the face but just in front of him it hurts like hell and the bear just runs away i never had to do this we have to do um before i went uh, 
into the WOLF program and worked with them. You do something like a little lecture on how to behave in bear country, and you practice that there. And so, but um, usually bears don't. Bears also don't attack people. Only when you're coming up to a grizzly bear and a mama, a mama and a baby, of course, that is a. A strange situation. That's why you always walk around and keep singing and talking to yourself when you're in bear country so that the bears hear you. So you, have you had close encounters with bears then? Uh, not with grizzlies. I had a close encounter in, in Minnesota with a black bear. And it was funny because the first I, I had to hike about five miles from the road to the cabin. There was no road to the cabin. And so um, I saw this little black dot on my hiking trail, and I thought, huh, what's that? And it was moving, and then behind me, I suddenly hear something crushing through the bushes, and it felt like something big, and I thought, this can't only be mama bear. So I thought, what do I do? I'm in the middle between those two. But at that moment, the little one just walked away and kind of like, I guess, towards the mother. So everything was fine. But yeah, that I was sounds happy. like a very <laughs> close encounter it because was. I know that they don't traditionally that you're yeah. not humans yeah. are not their prey, not but they do attack yeah. and kill yeah. humans. Yeah. There's that awful um, incident a few yeah. years ago where the man and his girlfriend were hiking and right. it was recorded all yeah. it was yeah. I think not on idio- a video necessarily yeah, but on yeah. audio yeah, I and yeah. I don't know what yeah. what yeah. they did Timothy to- Treadwell I think was its name anyway but I think he was also camping camping on a bear trail on yeah well is it know. that just their own stupidity or yeah I would say so yeah God rest his soul and all of that. Mm. Um, So you've written this really lovely book about wolves. And there's a quote on the dust jacket that I wanted to read because it's just so beautiful. And, you know, I'm not even a dog lover, I have to say. I'm I'm terrible. I'm a bit afraid of dogs. And if I walked in, if I go for a walk in the countryside in Spain or wherever and see a stray dog in front of me, I'm quite scared, Mm. let alone a Mm -hmm. wolf. I know it's irrational and everything. Well, but stray dogs can be more dangerous than a wolf because stray dogs are used to humans. They're not afraid of humans. I don't know if you made me feel better or worse. No, I'm still, I'm still afraid of the dog. But on the dust jacket of your book, you've got the most beautiful word, uh, words about wolves. You say, wolves aren't wolfish. They can die of broken hearts. They can show tenderness to their young and elderly. And their packs are led by couples with key decisions made by females. They play, they pretend, and they predate. Mm-hmm. They are more complex than we ever knew and more like us than we ever imagined. And in the book, we meet several wonderful wolves. Tell Mm. us about the wolves that you wrote about. There are always some special wolves and I had a lot of wonderful, wonderful wolves. Uh, Of course, I always liked the female ones because of their personalities. Female wolves are very have very strong personalities. And there was, of course, this famous female who was called She-Wolf or O6. And uh, unfortunately, she did not live too long because uh, as soon as the wolves got... um, taken off the endangered species list and she walked out of the park she got killed where was this sorry that where or yeah, when wh- where was it yeah where was in yellowstone in yellowstone yeah yeah and outside they can now can be hunted so a lot of them walk outside she was a tremendous hunter she liked to hunt all by herself all alone can you imagine having this big huge elk there's vapiti elk we call it it's about six or seven times the size of this wolf and she uh, killed this animal all by herself. Usually they kill in a pack, but she liked to kill it by herself. She was a tremendous sweet mother and uh, an incredible leader of the pack. And did she get shot by hunters? Yeah, 
Yeah, she got lured out with Zoom and then she got shot by hunters. That must have broken your heart. Yeah, How long had you been did. watching her for? Uh, well, not that long her. I think three to four years I watched her. But uh, she was so close to my heart and it's kind of like I never, I didn't want to go back to Yellowstone anymore. I thought I cannot handle this anymore. This hate, you know, from these anti-wolfers who just try to kill some animal and they especially try to kill animals who have radio colors who they know are part of the Yellowstone Wolf Project. So to destroy the project, there's so much hate out there against wild animals and especially of course against wolves and I did not want to hand I could not handle this anymore I thought I'm not going back anymore but then of course I decided I thought what would this wolf have done and uh, she of course wolves never give up of course so she would have come back and so I came back and I had the wonderful chance to meet her daughter to see her daughter and so I knew that her her genes would live on you must get quite attached to them then I do, yeah. Mm. When you said not long to watch, three or four years is quite a long time to watch a, a, a wolf yeah. and a pack of wolves. Yeah, it is. I mean, wolves don't live that long. Uh, usually, you know, like when you're lucky, live 10, 11 years or so. And so when you're watching them for such a long time, you know how they are made. You watch the breeding season. You know the pups when they come out of the dens. And so you watch them all their life. So you know them like they're your children. <laughs> And when they die, of course, it's hard. How close do you get to them? Where are you physically watching them? I'm sort of picturing gorillas in the mist, you know, sort of sitting there. It's you very sitting easy. You're them? sitting in the car. <laughs> no, I, I love to go That's there. That's a bit less romantic than sitting amongst <laughs> I the go. I love to bushes. go there in winter because winter time is the best time to watch the wolves. And I love the cold. So at minus 30 centigrade, oh. I love to be there and look for them. So basically, there's this main road. We're watching the wolves in the Lamar Valley, which is the northern part of Yellowstone, because it's a wide open valley and you can see them so well. I have uh, spotting scopes. What's uh, a spotting scope? Sorry. Spotting scope is like a very, very huge, very long binocular. I don't know what the other word in English would be. Telescope. For telescope. Yeah, telescope. telescope. Yeah, telescope. Yeah. So I can see them really close by and then I watch them, what they do. And you kind of like you have several packs, you know, the, the pack personality, you know how they are, how they behave. And normally it's between 100 and 500 meters away, sometimes a few kilometers away. But you can see them to this through this telescope. And I had some few close encounters, which were about two to three meters away. How did they react to you? It depends. It depends on, I mean, not. Wolves are not all the same, so it depends on their personality. Most of the time, the grown-up wolves, they avoid you, they go away, and it's only the young ones who let you or, or who come a little bit closer. They are like teenagers, you know, they have about the age of one year, and they are as big as their parents already, so you hardly know the difference unless you know how a young wolf looks like. And... Um, they are very curious, so they come towards you and want to see what is the strange thing there on two legs. And they look, uh, they check you out. So you can see that this kind of their heads are going back and forth and they're looking. Their tail is tucked because they are so unsecure. And so this is the, mostly the closest thing. And then you move a little bit and they are gone anyway. What's been your most standout moment of watching wolves? Always the close encounters. These are the most standout moments. But... My very, very special moment was happening in Minnesota. It was in January or February, I don't remember right anymore. I decided I go and sleep out in the snow. And that was 
30 minus 35 degrees. I had a very good sleeping bag, so I slept out in the snow. And uh, suddenly I woke up. First of all, there were these northern lights above me, all above me, all these colorful, wonderful lights. And then I felt like some movement was there. And I looked, and then there was this wolf standing there almost above me, very next, very close to me. And it was like I did not dare to move because I was so fascinating. The lights and the wolf, I never forget this. And as soon as I moved a little bit, the wolf ran away. So you didn't have a tent or anything? You were literally no, in the... No, no. I had snow. a good pet and then a sleeping bag. And all, very On your good. own? Yeah. You're very brave. I love it. I love the cold. <laughs> so you feel brave when you're doing it? No. I feel very lucky. I am extremely grateful when I'm doing it. Yeah. Many people are afraid of wolves, of course, which is okay. It's not, not a bad thing. We're afraid of everything, of snakes, of heights. They are afraid of wolves, I believe, because they don't know them. And uh, I'd like to tell people how wolves are. I'd like people to get to know wolves. And uh, this is my main reason why I wrote the books. And I wanted to tell them that wolves are very much like us. They are not these terrible creatures that are out there to kill little uh, children or whatever, but they are so much like us. They are such loving family animals, loving family members, and they love to play. They have fun. They have never any domestic violence, for example. They take wonderful care of their old animals, of their injured animals. We're, we learned all these terrible things in old books. Most of the research came from captive wolf, which is a, quite a very different situation than wild wolves. So wild wolves are such wonderful animals, and I think we as human can learn a lot from wolves. That's why I wrote this book. Well, I've got a few listeners' questions, because I told people mm -hmm. that I was going to be interviewing you. Penny and Torben said, how many wolves are usually in a pack. Is there a definitive number? No, it depends. It depends on where they're living. And usually you can say between six and uh, ten. Like in Europe, I would say six to eight wolves in a pack. In Yellowstone, I had one pack that was 31 wolves. And that was really big. But in Yellowstone, we usually have between 10 and 13, 14 wolves in a pack. What countries in Europe do we still have wolves? Every, well, almost everywhere. We're having them in the whole Eastern Europe, of course. And uh, in Germany, we have about 700 wild wolves. They are spreading out. Now they came from the East and they're spreading out. We're having in um, the Southern countries, in Spain, in Italy, you have about 700 wolves almost around Rome. And this is amazing. They call them spaghetti wolves because they feed from the dumpsters. In Switzerland, they're coming back. In France, um, some move now to the Netherlands. So there are a lot of wolves out there. Why do wolves howl? Who wrote that question? It's such a lovely question. And it's a very, it's such an nice. evocative, yeah. incredible sound. Yeah, oh, it, it was Sophie, who's <laughs> age five and a half. She says, why do wolves oh. howl? Wolves howl uh, because of many reasons. First of all, they howl because maybe they're lonely. They say, especially in the breeding time, they say, oh, I'm looking for another wolf. Where is there somebody out there? They howl, um, for example, before they start a hunt, they get up together. It's like a group howl. It's something like a ritual, a socializing ritual. They howl. They don't howl to the moon. It's very important because everybody believes they howl to the full moon. They don't do that. It's just uh, because the, there is the, the light is better when there is a moon 
that's when they start hunting, and so that's why you hear them out. Ah. And they howl when they hear um, fire siren, or what is it called siren in English? The the fire... A siren. Siren, okay. Yeah, when they hurl all that. Or, um, I have a funny story in my book where I say we had a, a wolf pack in the Lama Valley who howled, uh, howled every Wednesday at 3 o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon. And we were really wondering, why do they howl at that moment? And we found out that there was this one UPS truck who was delivering groceries to that one village at the end of the valley and was driving the same time. And that's when the wolf started to howl. It must have been something in his engine that caused the wolves to howl. And when they changed the truck, they didn't howl anymore. And that driver must have been a bit freaked out for a while. <laughs> well, I don't know if he heard it while he was driving. Probably had his radio on. I don't know. And so Paul Beard in Barcelona says, ask her to explain pack formation because it's really interesting. The wolf pack is a family, an extended family. You have the parents on top of the wolf pack and then you have the young ones from the first year, the babies. You have the ones, the teenagers from last year and you have a few uncles and aunts who are taking care of the whole pack. I saw this lovely video online of a very a sick and old, mm -hmm. how, how wolves look after their sick and elderly. It's amazing. It's so wonderful. They just they feed them, they bring food. So one of if one of them is injured, one or two of the wolf packs stay with them all the time so that they don't stay alone. And the rest brings food in so to feed them and to take care of them. It's amazing. And Marcus, who's my brother in LA and quite cynical about this, he said he's heard some dog lovers say when he said, oh, that's a lovely Alsatian or Husky, and they've gone, yeah, it's part wolf, and he doesn't necessarily believe them. Are the dogs, domestic dogs that are part wolf, or do you think the owners are just sort of making Domestic that up? dogs are genetically 99.9% .9 wolves. Uh -huh. Even the little pug or, or whatever crazy dog breed you have, yeah, they are, but just genetically. Of course, we did breed dogs over a period of 30,000 years to make them live with people, of course. So if someone says, my dog is part wolf, are they telling yeah. the truth? You say, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> what do you dream at night? <laughs> you get the impression that it's just literally come yeah, and mated yeah. in Yellowstone and had a puppy. You know? Everybody <laughs> thinks, you know, especially when they have wolf-like dogs, like shepherds or, or sled dogs, everybody wants to think that his dog is so much like wolf. Of but course, behavior-wise, they could be more wolf-like, like a poodle or whatever. <laughs> but um, no, we're all genetically they are. But other than that, I like, I like so the idea years. of a cross between a wolf and a poodle. It might be quite interesting. Well, there are experiences where they did that and you don't want to cross a dog with a wolf. No. It's going to be dangerous. So what's next for you? Are there places you want to visit? Are you working mm -hmm. more with wolves? What are your, what are your next plans? Well, first of all, my biggest priority is my dog. And that's why I stopped my wolf watching two years ago, because I have a 14-year-old dog now, an old dog, and I want to be with her when she dies. So I stopped everything, and I just priority has the dog. I go on vacation with her to Denmark in the near future. Besides that, I still want to see Iceland, Greenland, and the Arctic before it melts down. Well, that's a, a lovely thought and a worrying thought with yeah. the melting. Yeah. Do you get involved in the environmental side of things like that? Of course, when you're telling people about an animal like the wolf, you know, who is really the symbol of the wild, of course, you have to take care. You get involved in all the environmental things and the wolf and the woods and everything. I'm giving seminars with Peter Wohlleben, who's well known because of his secret hidden life of trees, I think he's written. 
And so we give seminars to teach people on how important our environment is and how much we have to take care of it. And you have a book tour coming up. Yes, my new book is just, just came out at the end of the last year, in December, and it's called The Wisdom of Old Dogs, and this is just so wonderful. It's about old dogs and what we can learn as humans from these old dogs on how to grow old and how even about dying and all of that. And uh, it uh, people are crazy about it. It's really big, big success now. And your, your, the wisdom of wolves has sold really well, been translated into so many other languages. 17 languages. And we already have several foreign licenses for the wisdom of old dogs. It's I can see that people would awesome. absolutely love the wisdom of old dogs. People are so attached to their dogs. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons I don't will never get a dog, well, possibly never get a dog, <laughs> It's because I can't bear the yeah, thought of anything right. happening. I don't want to yeah. get close to them in the first place. Yeah, but place, they teach know. us so much. It's like not only that teach they teach us how to die, but they also teach us how to live and especially how to accept every moment and enjoy every moment. And when you are having an old dog and you're living with an old dog, you really know how precious time is and how valuable time is that you spend together. Oh, that's you're almost bringing a tear to my eye. Oh, so where's the book tour? You're going off around Europe. My book tour from the old dog is going. Yeah, we're going through Europe right now. We're having um, the Netherlands and uh, some Eastern countries. Yeah. Oh, I've just got one last question, actually, from Barry, who said, do you know Sean Ellis? Yes, I do know him. But he is working with captive wolves. He has wolves in captivity. Oh, wild I wolf. see. Yeah, big, big, big enclosures, but captive wolves. Yeah, because there's lots of videos of him sort of French kissing wolves. Yeah, you don't do that. <laughs> I do. I mean, <laughs> I kiss wolves. That's how I got into the wolf thing, by kissing a wolf. <laughs> wolves do this. This is normal for wolves to kiss. Oh, yeah. Like dogs. Handlers, yeah. yeah. I just watched the videos of him and he's like growling and, you know, yeah. it, was quite, it was quite comical, but well, it, amazing, really. Well, as I, I said, I have, ra I have raised wolf pups and I have handled wolves in captivity and there was never a need to growl or whatever. So, uh, so my last question is always about music. And I don't know, as a, a German native, I don't know how this will, uh, whether this will you know, be something that we can all relate to. But I always, and also I'm pretty sure that you're not listening to much music while you're watching Wolves, but yes, I always think that music and travel, this question comes up because music and travel to me goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So people often listen to music mm -hmm. when they're traveling and it helps cement memories mm -hmm. and bring back beautiful moments. And the question is, if you had to choose one song that reminds you of a place or time of travel, what would that song be? Oh, my goodness. Give me some time. See, give me a few hours Yeah, you can. Well, all as I know, what do I know about German music? And not that it's going to be German music. The Scorpions, they were amazing. They were German, yeah. weren't they? Are they German? What? The Scorpions, the band. What is that? Oh, it's a band, don't worry. <laughs> David Hasselhoff, he was big in Germany. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, when I travel, it depends on where I'm traveling. Because, you know, when I'm traveling through the U.S., I always listen to country music in the radio. But uh, I love these big film musics, you know, like Dancing with Wolves or Out of Africa or something like that. That's when I always have this vision and see the landscape in front of my eyes. Thank you so much, Ellie, and we wish you as much success with the wisdom of old dogs as you've had with the wisdom of wolves. And thank you for listening to the Big Travel Podcast. I'll be back next week with Chris Halenga from Copperfield, the charity dedicated to breast cancer. Music.